Today, the teacher gave a quiz to her classroom, and the question on the quiz was, my name has six letters. The first letter is M. I pick up things. What am I? The teacher got all the quizzes back, and she was shocked to find out that almost 50% of the class said mothers. Kids and mothers. Eight-year-old Mary wrote her mother a note on Mother's Day. Dear Mom, here's a box of candy I bought for you. It is very good candy. I know. I had three pieces already. Then there's little eight-year-old Johnny and his four-year-old sister Susie. They presented their mom with a Mother's Day gift. It, it was a rather frail and small houseplant. It wasn't exactly what one would call beautiful, but mom was thankful because they bought the, the flower with their own money. And so she just explained to them how thankful she was and what it meant to her that they thought of her. Little, little Johnny spoke up and said, said, there were other plants that we wanted to buy for you, Mom, but we didn't have the money. Yeah, said little, little Susie. They had a real nice bunch of flowers that we were going to buy. Johnny hopped back in. These would have been perfect for you, Mom. They'd been perfect. They were on a wreath, and they had a ribbon that said, rest in peace. goes on and says, Mom, you're always asking for a little peace so we can rest. Mothers, 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 how we dearly love you and thank God for you. You're expected to do so much. Plan meals, grocery shopping, meal preparation, buying clothes for the kids, and sometimes for Dad too. House cleaning, washing and drying and mending clothes, uh, helping with homework, counseling the daughter regarding dating and romance down the line. And then there's mom's taxi service, trips to football practice and baseball practice and soccer. And don't forget track. And remember dancing lessons and trips to the dentist and to the doctor and to the school play and down the line. So much. As we think of moms today, and as we celebrate Mother's Day, I want us to reflect on some biblical principles for mothers as well as for the whole family. In Proverbs 31, if you go ahead and turn there in your Bibles, Proverbs 31, verses 10 through 31, we see God's description and value of a woman who is an ideal wife and mother. One one who cares for her household. She's described as excellent in the ESV version, of noble character in the NIV, and virtuous in the New Living Translation, and all say that her value is far above jewels or rubies. And as we think of mothers and Mother's Days, I know that, that for some that our emotions and feelings may not be joyful. I know that there are some whose relationship with their mom was not healthy, or maybe there wasn't one, and 
we recognize that. We recognize that some of you may have just lost a mom, and this whole, whole reminder reminds you of them. And we're also aware that some of you may want children and yet haven't been able to have that. And you will know that, that that's hard. Well, Dwayne Garrett, in his New American Commentary, writes, the center point of this poem is verse 23, the declaration that the husband is highly regarded at the gate, which is the center of government run by the elders of the day. This verse has been seen as almost an intrusion on the poem. All the other verses praise the wife. But this one verse, verse 23, actually establishes the central point of the poem. This woman that we're going to be looking at, this woman is the kind of wife a man needs in order to be successful. This woman is the kind of wife a man needs to be successful in life. Context. As we think of, of the original audience, as we think of, of the book of Proverbs, the audience that this was written to was not young women. It wasn't saying to young women, this is the kind of wife you should be, although we can apply it to that. But it was to young men. Men, this is the kind of wife that you should get. Again, this doesn't mean that we can't apply it across the board in general ways to our lives. But in keeping with the thrust of Proverbs, if you remember, if you go back, it talks about my son, my son. The book of Proverbs is written primarily to young men. It explains in great details the evils of the prostitute and how she is a snare to a young man. Well, today as we look at this passage on this excellent woman, this virtuous woman we sometimes call her, we see five qualities. One, she's a devoted wife. Two, she's a diligent partner. Three, she's a discerning benefactor. Fourth, she's dedicated as a mother to her children. And fifth, finally, she is a devout follower of God. First, we see she's devoted wife. Let's look at verses 10 through 14, if you will turn there again. Verses 10 through 14 of Proverbs 31. And that's not wife, who can find? She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings, which she brings her food from afar. We see first that she's a rare find. She's a rare find. An excellent wife who can find more precious than jewels. Men, if you have an excellent wife this morning, and I know there's some excellent wives here, we should be praising God because we have a rare find. We have a rare find. So we should be thankful. In verses 11 and 12, we see that she's trustworthy. 
Her husband has confidence in her. Since the heart of her husband trusts her, she's able to carry on, or rather he's able to carry on because he trusts her. Third, she seeks his good, his well-being. She's a source of benefits for him all the days of his life. She does good and not harm. And fourth, she, enha she enhances his reputation. In verse 23, we see that. She's a completer. Verse 23, her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders. Now, if you remember, if you go back, the elders of the cities were the esteemed, those who were in charge. They were the government. They made decisions by the gate. And this woman's husband was sitting at the gate. And this verse, this passage says that, that her husband has confidence in, in her and her abilities such that because of her godly character, he can trust her to care for things at home. He can in turn make those major decisions for the government. Verse 23 implies that it is because of her that her husband can leave the household and to serve with the elders. She enables him. Wives, she enables her husband to serve with the elders. It's because of her support that he's able to achieve that significant status. Her reputation also enhances his. She is honest. She's wise, she's loyal, discerning, and discreet. Well, when I throw out the name Oswald Chambers, I think most of you would recognize the name. If you were to go into bookstores, Christian bookstores across this nation, I think you'll find several of his writings. His book, My Utmost for His Highest, has become the world's bestseller as far as devotions translating into many languages. And had it not been for his wife, Mrs. Chambers, Biddy, he called her, the driving force of, uh, you know, behind him, very few people would know anything about Oswald Chambers and his writings. Her name never appeared on any of the 50 books that were written by him. And then one forward, in the forward to my utmost, she wrote telling how the selections were made and how they had come from their speaking engagements, yet she signed it with her initials. Before his death in 1917, few of his sermons had even been written down. There are a few little booklets. He died and left Mrs. Chambers a widow and a single mother at age 34. Before she had married, she was a stenographer. She did shorthand. Most of you may not know what that is. Some of us would remember that. It was a way back in the past where records could be kept of conversations in court and business. And um, Mrs. Oswald could, could write faster than any man could speak. When she first married and began listening to the sermons, she took all these copious notes, all these notes. She never realized, never had any idea that those would be transcribed to become text for books 
that she would become the editor-in-chief of, as well as the publisher. We owe tremendous debt of gratitude to this humble and gracious and unknown wife whose efforts have blessed us in so many ways. Well, second, we see that the ideal wife is a diligent partner to her husband. There are several verses that indicate she is diligent, she's industrious. Verse 13 says that she willingly works with willing, she works with willing hands. Some would, tra- would say that's translated, she does it with pleasure. She does it with pleasure. Verse 14, we see that she's a wise shopper. And she's able to add much to the lives of the family by trading the goods that she's produced in order to purchase merchandise that she can't produce there at home. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. In verse 16, we see that she has a good head for business. She's a wise planner. It says she considers a field and buys it. And with the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. And verse 18 says she perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Here's this wife. She goes and she purchases property after she's looked at it. And then she plants a vineyard. Fourth, she's able to care for a family because she stays physically fit. Verse 17 says that she dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. Her lamp does not go out at night. This literally says she has a strong back. She has a strong back. She's kept herself in good shape in order to care for her family and for her household. Verse 24 says that she supplements their income by making and selling garments. Says that she makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. Well, instead of bankrupting her husband with frivolous spending, the wise woman makes her husband prosperous. She shows wisdom by planning ahead. She doesn't put things off. Her household is well run because she's a careful manager. Ruth Bell Graham, we all know that wonderful wife, a former, she's of course passed away, but the, the wife of Billy Graham. She's been called the silent rock, the silent rock. Despite long separations, and I read somewhere up to six months at a time, sometimes he would be away. Mrs. Graham was there at home, caring for the kids, being that bedrock at home. T.W. Wilson, who was one of the key members of Billy Graham's staff, said, there would have been no Billy Graham if there had not been Ruth. Powerful there, isn't it? Of course, Billy was the first one to acknowledge her importance. In a letter to her, Billy wrote, your counsel and advice and encouragement and prayer have been my mainstay. And at times, I have almost clung to you in my weakness, in hours of obsession, in problems, in difficulties. And when we see Billy Graham, we don't see him in that way. 
We don't think about the fact that he, in the midst of hard times and stress, clung to his wife in weakness, in the midst of difficulties. Elsewhere, he writes that no one could have borne the load that she carried. She was a vital and integral part of our ministry. And my work throughout the years would have been impossible without her encouragement and support. Ruth stayed at home in North Carolina and actually had oversight of of their home that was built. Her independence in the domestic area allowed Billy Graham to do what he did, to, to do the crusades. She was Billy's closest confidant, most trusted advisor, and dearest friend, helping him craft and research for sermons and for books. She indeed was this diligent partner to her husband, Billy Graham. Well, third, the Proverbs 31 woman is a discerning benefactor. She's a discerning benefactor. Verse 20 says, she opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. This virtuous woman, this wife in Proverbs 31, is not only concerned for her family. We see in this verse a reflection of her concern for the community. She has a vision for ministry. She cares for those who are poor and needy. We see that generous spirit. Early in Proverbs, we see that the wise must be generous to the poor. And it's in various places throughout Proverbs. Proverbs 11:24 says, Give freely and become more wealthy. Be stingy and lose everything. Proverbs 28, 27 says, Whoever gives to the poor will lack nothing. But those who close their eyes to poverty will be cursed. And finally, 29.14 says, If a king judges the poor finally or fairly, his throne will last forever. Again, we realize when we look at Proverbs, these are general principles, not specific. We see, though, that a wise person, God says, is to care for the poor and for the needy. It's very clear that this lady who's wise, did just that. Well, a thousand women, I'm sorry, a thousand men, rather, proposed to this woman. They were millionaires. They were business people. They were farmers. They were vagrants that she ministered to. Evangeline Booth, the daughter of William and Catherine Booth, uh, was convinced by her father to never marry but that didn't stop her from motherhood. She adopted four children. She had a heart for the poor and for the downtrodden, for those hurting. She headed up, eventually, Salvation Army in the United States, coming from England. She was a friend to thousands. And when interviewed by a reporter of why she did what she, she did, she says, I live for others. My deepest desire is to be is to make every person I meet better because I pass by. 
and she ministered to those poverty-stricken people in the East End of London. And able to better minister, she began wearing tattered dresses because she wanted to be able to identify with them. She had a, a burden for the poor. Well, Proverbs 31 lady is compassionate and generous. Fourth, we see in Proverbs 31 this woman's dedication as a mother. We've already seen that she's a devoted wife. She's a dedicated partner. She's a discerning benefactor. Now we see that she's a dedicated mom. She's devoted to the needs of her family and household. Verse 15 says that she rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. And verse 18b says, her lamp does not go out at night. Ladies, men, look at this. She's up when it's still night. Her lamp does not go out at night. She worked long days. Verse 21 says that she's not afraid of snow for her household because all are clothed in scarlet. Verse 22a says that she makes bed coverings for herself. We see that she took care of her family. We see in, in uh, verse 22 that she brings beauty and quality to the home. She's well-groomed and attractive. Her clothes are the finest and the most expensive, made out of the most expensive material. Um, verse 22 says, her clothing is fine linen and purple. We see as we read through this passage that she makes the home attractive. She makes it comfortable. There's something about a woman's touch, isn't it? I'll never forget, when I first moved to Chicago, I rented a an apartment over here on Cheney, close to Chase School. Just brand new renovated, nice, beautiful hardwood floors, new drywall. After two or three months, I had all the staff over. At that time, my first year here, I was single, so I had staff over. And one of the female staff at Inner City Impact said, Ralph, your apartment is very clean for a man. She says, but it needs a woman's touch. It needs a woman's touch. It's true. My walls were bare. There was nothing to make it feel warm and attractive. You know, I'm so thankful and blessed to have my wife, Chris. People come into the house and they say, it feels so welcoming here. It, it, it feels inviting. I always, Ralph and Chris, always love to come to your house, and I hope that always is the case. That has nothing to do with Ralph Edmonds. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. It's all because of my Proverbs 31 wife. Because she, she's always looking, how can I make this house a home? How can I decorate it? within the means that I have to make it feel comfortable and, and to be beautiful. Granted, our home is not 
a castle by any means, but it's our home. And she's made it beautiful. It's a home that I can come home to in the evenings, and I can rest. I can feel comfortable. I can invite people over, and they feel the same thing. There's something about that Proverbs 31 lady who brings that quality to the house. I haven't got to spend huge amounts of money, but it's just that ability that they have. They, they, they just love it. They love to decorate their home. We see in verse 27 that this Proverbs 31 lady is organized and she's disciplined. She teaches her children by the way she lives. Verse 27 says she cares, she carefully watches everything in her household. She carefully watches everything in her household and suffers not from laziness. It's powerful. Both here, her family gratefully acknowledges all the benefits that they get from her. And as far as they're concerned, the kids think that their mother is the best mother in the whole wide world. And the husband thinks, I've got the best. I've got the best. Verses 28 and 29 read, Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also. And he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Here's her husband saying, there are a lot of women who do well, but you, you surpass them. You pass them up. You pass them up, babe. Men, have you told your wife that she passes them up? Passes up all the other ones. Well, when I think of women who love the Lord, who are mothers, I think of Susanna Wesley. Only 10 of Susanna's 19 children lived to maturity. It was a large household. 10 kids to raise and to educate while doing all the other things going on around the house. But she did it well. She began in her husband's absence, who was, he was a pastor, when he was away, she began a, a Bible study in the evenings where they would sing psalms and, and they would pray. And then she would read a sermon from her husband's library. And first it was just for her kids and her servants. People began to hear and others came. And pretty soon, the parsonage couldn't hold everyone. And so they had to move it. She spent six hours each day homeschooling her children. Six hours. And one of her teaching methods was that she wrote manuals on Christian doctrine for her kids. She wrote manuals on Christian doctrine for her children. She, was dedic she dedicated also one hour each week each of her, ten, of, her, of her kids, one hour each week. She wanted to so influence their lives. She wanted to know where they were spiritually, to see if they had trusted Jesus Christ. And if they were believers, were they growing? And she knew that in order to do this, that she had to know them 
in order to know them, should spend time with them. She also prayed two hours a day. She had a plan where the kids would help take care of each other. And she couldn't find an empty room. They said that oftentimes that their mom would take her apron and just flip it over her head. And she prayed. God used this home. God used this mother in so many ways. Her son, John Wesley, helped to change the course of, of English history by uh, God using him to initiate a, a national a revival. Another son, Charles Wesley, is remembered for over 9,000 hymns. 9,000 hymns. And in fact, it could probably be said that the Methodist Church has as its foundation Susanna Wesley's home. She was courageous. She was tenacious. This Bible-believing woman who did all this and gave us influential leaders. What well, we've seen four qualities so far in this virtuous woman in Proverbs 31. She's a devoted wife. She's a dedicated partner to her husband. She's a discerning benefactor. She's compassionate and giving to the poor, the needy. Fourth, she's dedicated mom. And fifth, she's, we see that she is a devoted follower of the Lord. She's committed. We see it so, so very clearly. She's committed to following the Lord. Verse 26 says, She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teachings of kindness is on her tongue. We need to remember when we think of Proverbs, wisdom is a reference to following God. Proverbs 1.7, if you think back there, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And it goes on and it says that um, those uh, fools despise wisdom and instruction. It says here that she opens her mouth with wisdom, the teaching of kindness. And kindness here can be, could be translated uh, faithfulness, goodness, or loyalty. But she exemplifies, if you go back and read through Proverbs, it, it talks about wisdom. In this Proverbs 31 lady, she exemplifies all this talk throughout the book. Proverbs 18.7 says, A fool's mouth is his ruin. His lips are a snare to his soul. But she's not that way because she's wise. When verse 25, we see that she has a confidence uh, in the future because she follows the Lord. Strength and dignity are her clothing. And she laughs at the time to come. She laughs at the time to come because she is so sure in her walk with God. She doesn't fear the future. If we're honest, I think there are times that we do fear what lies ahead. It's because we're not trusting God in the midst of everything. But it says here that she doesn't fear the future. The future is always unknown and it brings with us, with it, unknown obstacles and problems that we face. And yet, 
because of her wisdom, she is fearless as she looks to the future. Her wisdom, again, implies a relationship with the Lord. Proverbs 8, 6 through 10 is a passage where wisdom is personified. It's personified as a woman. And this woman says, Hear, for I will speak noble things, and from my lips will come what is right. From my mouth will utter, utter truth, and wickedness is an abomination to my lips. And all the words of my mouth are righteousness, and there is nothing twisted or crooked in them. They are all straight to him who understands, and right to those who find knowledge. This exemplifies this proverb 31 woman. She speaks noble things. She speaks what is right. She utters truth. Wickedness is an abomination. Her words are righteous. And on and on. It's very clear that this woman, this virtuous woman, follows the wisdom of God and is committed to following his word. John Newton is someone I think that most of us know. He wrote Amazing Grace and many other songs, hymns. John's father was a captain of a, of a merchant ship, and he was gone all the time, all the time. His mother raised him, teaching him the word, teaching him sacred songs. But just before his seventh birthday, Newton lost his mother. She died. It didn't take long for Mr. Newton, the father, to remarry. He sent young Newton, John Newton, off to a school. Eventually, though, he ended up in the, in the, on the sea and ships. Eventually, we know that he was involved in slave trade. Soon, his world became the open sea. That world that he heard as a young child, the world of the Bible, the world of the Holy Spirit, lovingly taught by his mother, had vanished. And he would tell you, his, <laughs> he, he, he kind of mixed and matched convenient ideas to go along with, with, um, with religion to make his own type of uh, faith. And he would tell you that his delight and habitual practice was wickedness for many years. Until one day he was on the deck. It's a storm. Big waves coming. And the captain of the ship told him, told John to go downstairs and to get a knife. And the guy who took his place was washed overboard by a huge wave. And this caused John to begin thinking about all the things that he had heard from his mother. And he went searching when he was finally free to rest. He went searching all over the ship to find a Bible. And when he found a Bible, he tried to remember the verses that his mother loved and his mother had taught him. And he, and he remembered Luke 11, 13 says, If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, 
how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? He identified with being evil. He knew in his heart that he was. At this point, it doesn't seem that he trusted Christ, but other things happened along the way. And he began to see God's mercy in his life. He had built up anger and bitterness because he had seen God as the one who had removed his mother. We began to see that God was gracious and merciful, and he, he turned to God. He repented of his sins, and he trusted in Jesus Christ as his Savior. Of course, Newton began preaching God's Word and wrote songs and hymns, and it says that in his biographies that he loved equally preaching the word and writing hymns because they love to worship God. So we see that John Newton's mother in those short seven years impacted young John. When time came, he knew where he had to go. We must never, ever doubt God's word. Never, ever. I still remember as a young man having gone to church on my own and had heard God's word and I knew what God's word said, having gotten away, far away. And in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of, of just the consequences of my sin, I knew where to go. I knew what God's word said. It was a matter of repentance, a matter of turning back to what I had heard. Fathers and mothers never ever question the time that's necessary to teach your children because God's word does not go out in vain. It accomplishes its purposes. Well, verses 30 and 31 summarize and kind of conclude what a young man should look for in a woman. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. Charm is deceitful, and beauty is vain. But what does our culture push? Charm? Outward beauty? We all know it doesn't last. It's not that charm and beauty are bad. They're just not adequate reasons to marry a girl. Men? Young men who are looking for a, for a wife, charm and beauty are not bad. They're not evil. They're just not adequate. You need a far better wife. You need to marry a Proverbs 31 wife, a virtuous woman. This chapter of Proverbs Gives, us, gives a model to young men about what they should look for in a, 
and a wife. She's the opposite of the prostitute that one would read earlier in Proverbs. She's the opposite of that nagging wife. She's virtuous. Dwayne Garrett, in his commentary, says the good wife has every virtue wisdom can offer. She is diligent. She has a keen sense of business matters, is compassionate, is prepared for the future, is a good teacher, is dedicated to her family, and above all else, possesses the primary characteristic of biblical wisdom, the fear of the Lord. Young men, you must choose. You must choose. You must choose between a woman of wisdom and a woman of folly. And if one chooses a woman of folly, he has little chance of transcending this environment that she will create around him. Men need a godly lady who lives according to the wisdom of God. <clears throat> a woman dedicated as a wife, a diligent partner. It's a known fact that men need women. We don't just need any woman. We need a Proverbs 31 woman. If you want to see what the world looks like without women, visit some men's apartments and see how they live and see how they eat. See how they dress when women aren't around. A week or two ago, I was watching some show where they were helping uh, people find a, a guy was going to buy a house. And he, he rented with three or four guys. The house was a mess. It, it was filthy. There were clothes everywhere. There was, the kitchen was filled with dirty plates. It's a mess. Men. And granted, I want to, granted, there are some men who do not live that way. There are men who live well. I don't want to put a blanket on everybody. There are some here in the church who do well. But most of us, most of us don't do too well with that. Someone has said, and they said it very well, behind every good man, there's a good woman and a surprised mother-in-law. A woman is to a man. And listen to this, ladies. Listen. A woman is to a man what a wind is to fire. She can either fan it up or blow it out. Women, do you see the power that you have? You can build up your husband or you can tear him down. You can build him up, encourage them, or tear him down. I said it before and I said it again. My wife builds me up. I still remember Chris seeing things in me as a young husband. How she encouraged me. How she pointed out things that I didn't see. And I used to think, is she, is she being honest? Is she really, is that me? 
women. Don't ever forget, with your words, with your actions, it's like fire. We either fan the flame and build them up, or we can blow them out. Oh, over the years, I've seen the powerful influence of, of women. And it's so very true. When I see men, husbands who do well, most of all the time, there's a woman there supporting, building up, encouraging. And I've also seen the opposite case where they're tearing down and discouraging. Ah. Ladies, seek to be a woman of excellence. Fear the Lord. Remember, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. Older women, reach out to the younger women. Teach them. Younger women, Seek to be mentored, discipled by an older lady in faith. Married men, if you have a wife, and I think most of you here have wives that are excellent, remember to acknowledge their value and love them as Christ loved the church. Single men, Seek a woman of excellence. Remember, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Don't buy into the world's values. Don't buy what you hear over and over on TV and in movies and on the radio. Remember, you can choose a woman of wisdom or a woman of folly. It can't be both. This is Mother's Day. All of us. Have you acknowledged your mother's worth? Have you praised her for who she is, what she's done for you? Husbands, again, acknowledge your wife today, the wife and the mother of your children. What I like to do, because it is Mother's Day, I'd like for all the mothers to stand, and I want to pray for you. Okay, ladies, come on now. Well, let's pray. Our gracious Father, Lord, we thank you for this Mother's Day.